0: This is, um, this is a real treat for me. It's the first time for a while I've preached with actual live living bodies in front. Just going to pause for a moment while we uh, just kill the, the, uh, the ring round there. Is that okay, Pete? Are we all right? Good. Um, and as Mike said, we are in the middle of our series on James. Um, I think you'd appreciate if I just started my timer. Um, so just give me a second while I do that. I'm not telling you what I've set it to, but uh, there is at least a timer (laughs) and uh, that that will give you some confidence that we won't be going on until three o'clock, which we very easily could do because a lot of these scriptures, I'm sure you've noticed as we've been going through the series, um, are packed full of things. Um, And one of the uh, the challenges, one of the nice challenges when you're preparing to preach is which bits will I home in on? Which bits do I feel God is um, actually... Uh, leading me to emphasize um, so you can be assured today folks that we've got a we've got a good feast lined up it's it's quite a dramatic passage this the title of the talk is genuine humility but we're covering topics like quarreling fighting wars pride arrogance as well as grace and humility sounds exciting doesn't it I haven't got any decent videos for some of that stuff, I'm afraid, but, uh, you know, we'll get to the the text and see what it is that James wants to talk to us about as we get into chapter four. Um, I can also guarantee that there is something for everybody today. So I don't know who the youngest person is here, and I don't know who the oldest is. I certainly wouldn't take a guess at the latter. I might offend somebody. Um, But wherever you are in life, there's a particular message for you, and I can guarantee that you will want to hear it, because one of the themes that comes out of today is the theme of opponents and opposition. I was watching a documentary quite a few years ago uh, about a football team, one of the top football teams. I can't remember which one it was, but there was a, um, there was a uh, conversation going on in the dressing room between some of the top players. Um, They were waiting for the draw for the next round of the cup, and they were discussing between themselves who they didn't want to face, who they didn't want as their opponents. Now, that actually might strike you, and it struck me when I was watching it it as a bit of an odd thing for a top team to do. They should just be able to be prepared to play anybody. But they started drawing up a list. Oh, we don't want these as our opponents. We don't want those as our opponents. When we go through today's passage, you'll find there is somebody mentioned who you do not want to have as your opponent, whether you're the youngest person in this room or the oldest. So let's read from James chapter 4, and we're starting at verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. It's strong language, isn't it? It gets even stronger here. You adulterous people, you unfaithful people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he, that's God, gives us more grace. And that's why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and... He will lift you up. So who's at the top of your list that you don't want to be opposing you in life? It's there, isn't it, in verse 6. God opposes the proud. And if there's anybody I don't want opposing me in life, it's God. Because there's only going to be one winner from that conflict, isn't there? Yeah? If I'm in a position in life where God is actively opposing what I do, Well, that's bad bad news. That really is bad news. So this passage tells us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace or gives favor, it says in some versions, to the humble. By the way, this verse, this verse from Proverbs, it's from Proverbs chapter 3, must have been quite popular in the early church. If you flick your Bibles on a few pages to 1 Peter chapter 5 or flick your screens if that's what you're doing, um, you'll see that he also quotes it. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing it was something they quoted quite a bit. And, uh, you know, it's good to have those references to the wisdom that, that there is in the Old Testament. So verses 1 to 5 are quite dramatic, aren't they? And when it starts talking about quarrels and fights and so on, you may think, well, that's nothing to do with us. I mean, we're quite peaceable sort of folks, aren't we? We're certainly not into killing people. Hope you're not. Repent if you are. But even though some of the language is a bit extreme, we just need to think a little bit about what James is telling us here because he's obviously honed in on the fact that in some of the churches that he's writing to, there's quite a lot of quarreling, quite a lot of disputes. And, you know, the history of the church, sadly, often suggests that within the church of Jesus Christ, we do not do disputes very well. When we have different views from brothers and sisters in Christ, we're sometimes not very good at how we handle it, are we? And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it's just worth making the point at the start of our our time together today that just to say, have a think about some of the things that you may disagree with your brothers and sisters about, even things you feel quite strongly about. It's not wrong to feel strongly about certain things, but it is wrong if we turn them into the kind of scenarios that James is, is, is uh, describing here. Fights, quarrels, um, and so on and so forth. The key point here is, and, and it's there in, I think it's verse 4, isn't it? Do you know that friendship with the world means enmity, that hostility or uh, making enemy of God? We don't want, brothers and sisters, in our attitudes, in the, way in, which we, um, in the way in which we interact with one another, we don't want to be making an enemy of God, do we? And sometimes we have to choose how we handle things, even when we have things that we feel very, very strongly about. You may feel very strongly about a particular type of politics. You may have very strong views on what the church should do about this, that, or the other. Yeah. Should Christians get the vaccine? Some Christians have got very strong views about that. Either that, yes, they should, or no, you shouldn't. None of these things, brothers and sisters, are central to our faith. None of these things are central to our identity as a community of believers, our life together. And we need to learn that even though we may feel strongly about things, they are not things that should be dividing us and they're not things that we should be disputing about. We have to choose not to go down these roads. We have to choose not to make an enemy of God. Sometimes that choice is quite stark, because in the other stuff that we're going to look at this morning, you'll find that there are things here that a lot of people out in the big wide world don't agree with. You find that a lot in the Bible, actually, don't you? You find the Bible will teach something, and it is counter to our culture, counter to some of the values that we see in the world around us, that we see in friends, neighbors, that we see portrayed in TV programs, whatever. And that's the point at which we've got to decide, do we want friendship with the world or do we want friendship with God? And that's what James is warning us about in in verse 4. And let's look a little bit at pride. I promise you we're going to get on some good stuff, but at the moment we're dealing with the things that are being warned against. And if God opposes the proud, I need to know what that means. I don't want to fall into the trap of not recognizing it, not dealing with it within myself. I could say, some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not proud. The funny thing, though, is that's exactly the kind of thing a proud person would say, isn't it? And we just need to be careful that we're not falling into that trap of having a proud attitude or a, proud, a proudness about the way in which we act. Christian teachers used to talk about the seven deadly sins. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that expression. I don't think we talk about it in quite the same terms these days, but have you ever heard it? Um, the seven deadly things, sins, things like envy, greed, lust, anger, and pride. And they would say that pride is the worst of the lot. It's at the top of the tree or the bottom of the tree, I suppose, when it comes to these things. Now, let's just be clear what pride isn't. We all need to be confident in life. And in fact, the Bible says, "Don't throw away your confidence. Confidence is okay. We may receive praise when we do something well. We may receive encouragement in our abilities from people. That's okay, too. We can be proud when we know somebody or who either somebody we know or somebody we love achieves something worthwhile. say I'm so proud of that person. We could be proud of our church could be proud of our school. We could be proud of the, the company that we work for. These things can all be okay, to a point. But the reason we're being warned here, friends, is because pride has a dark side to it. The thing we need to watch out for is that it's insidious. It creeps up on us. It even creeps in behind some of those good thoughts and feelings. This is how it works. Uh, when I worked at, um, uh, the, the, the last company I worked at, um, we had a very strict security system for our buildings. Um, and you had, everybody had a pass, and you used to have to swipe your pass to go into in through the double doors. Um, one of the buildings that was really modern. It was a bit like Spooks, actually, you know. Anybody watched Spooks? Uh, anybody watched it where they, they swiped the door and the doors go swish and you go through and that sort of stuff. Um, very, It deluded you into thinking that you were really important, which, which you weren't. It was just a security thing. But the rule was, you had to swipe yourself in, you couldn't bring anybody else in with you. And occasionally, you know, if people were late for meetings and stuff, they'd just they'd try and sneak in behind, they'd try and tailgate, as, as we would call it. And uh, the... And, and the system, the security system would bleep and say, no, you can't do that. Or the security officers would say, no, that's that's not right. Um, do you know, sometimes thoughts that take us into pride, the dark side of pride, can be a little bit like that tailgating. Somebody will come up to you and say, you did a really good job with that. And at first you think, yeah, okay, well, that's nice to get that encouragement. But if you're not careful, a little thought follows on which says, that's because I'm good. That's because I'm better than other people. And we have to beware of it, don't we? We have to beware of that L'Oreal moment. Because you're worth it. Yeah? Because it's going to get into our head in a wrong way. The reality is that pride... Unchecked can transform the most noble virtues into a sin. We could be really proud of ourselves because, oh, I've been convicted. God's been speaking to me about, uh, about maybe, I don't know, greed. Um, and I've uh, been reading bits of the Bible and, and so on. Um, and I've really made a big effort to change my attitudes towards possessions. And um, thank you for your help, Lord. All right, good. And if we're not careful, a prideful attitude slips in behind something that basically is good. We just have to watch our hearts that we don't get caught in that way. And as I said earlier, what I'm saying here really is countercultural. Within wider society, people expect you to assert yourself, to pick yourself up. You don't believe me, watch The Apprentice. See who thrives in those boardroom scenes. Some of them are shocking, actually. I know it's just television and all that sort of thing, but um, yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want that image of myself to be portrayed to the nation. Sometimes, I you know. Um, but that's that's the world's values. Fight, muscle in, big yourself up. Doesn't matter if you exaggerate. Doesn't matter if you tell a few lies. And it builds up in terms of hard attitudes and to pride. And this is where we have to really listen to what the scriptures are trying to teach us. God opposes the proud. Even if we, you know, in our inward thoughts and attitudes, send us up, set ourselves up as the center of our world, our universe, if we set ourselves up in our thinking as the source of all our successes, we end up taking the place of God in our lives. We end up relying on our own strength. Friends, don't get to the point where you think you don't need God for anything. We were meant to live hand in hand with the creator who created us. We were meant to walk in harmony with him, in fellowship with him. Is this making sense? tops. The, uh, The writer, William Willimon, tells of a Jewish friend of his, whose favorite saying was this, Jews have two major beliefs. Number one, there is a God. Number two, you are not it. Simple as that, really, isn't it? We just need to live it out, remember it. So up to verse five, it's all grim news really but suddenly in verse 6 we get this wonderful statement that he gives grace He in fact he gives more grace or in some versions it says he gives greater grace and after all the stuff about wars and quarreling and that it's lovely to come to that verse you know like the clouds part the sun shines through he gives grace he's got grace to give to us he's got grace to give to us it's great news sometimes you know, I mean, we talk about things like um, things like envy and greed and, and pride and so on, and uh, on a Sunday morning we can just sort of toss these things around. But I know that for some of you, keeping a lid on these things is a real battle. It's not five minutes on a Sunday morning. It's something to be lived out, developed, something to be shared with people, you know, saying, just pray for me. Yeah? It's particularly true of lust, isn't it? Particularly true of lust in this day of, in this age of ours, when so much of what we see uh, on on TV and, and other media can take us down a road that we don't want to go as believers, as people who want to please the Lord in every aspect of our life. But grace is available. And who does he give the grace to? And this is where we get to this lovely verse from Proverbs He gives grace to the humble. So, as with pride, it's worth looking at what humility isn't as well as what humility is. Humility is not pretending that we're any worse than we are. We don't want to get into false humility. We don't want to be going around all the time saying, oh, I'm no good, just for the sake of it. That actually won't change anything in our hearts. It might change... It might want people not to be with us too much, yeah? But it won't change our hearts. Humility needs to be genuine. And it needs to be worked on. If you want a simple definition, C.S. Lewis said this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Rather, it's thinking of yourself less. Being humble is knowing that we live in that relationship to God, where he's God and we are walking with him. Being humble is the right way to work out our cares, our values, and our passions. You see, when James says in those first few verses, he talks about things we care about. He talks about you know, the, the, the kind of squabbling and so on. Um, some of the desires that were causing those things may have been quite legitimate. But they were being worked out in the wrong way. But we can combine our desires, genuine desires, with humility. The prophet Micah in the Old Testament wrote this. What does the Lord require of you? But to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. See, it's there. We can act justly. We can care about issues of justice. We can care when things aren't done right. We can even do things about them. We can care about situations in which mercy needs to be shown. But the key is walking humbly with our God. How do we get there? Well, of course, our role model in all of this is Jesus. I don't know whether some of you remember earlier in the year we made a book recommendation for this book, Gentle and Lowly, which is a book based on just a single verse in the Gospel, Matthew chapter eleven, verse twenty-nine, where Jesus says, I am meek and lowly of heart. And the the, the writer of the book says, This is the only point in the whole of the Gospels where Jesus talks about his own heart. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Jesus says quite a lot of things about himself, about what he came to do, et cetera, et cetera, um, about being in the right relationship with his father. But this is the only point where he says, and this is what I look like deep within. And of course, you'll know that in, uh, in the Bible, in Bible speak, heart isn't just about emotions. The heart is about what is the deep center of our being, our, our emotions, our thinking, our will. It's the, it's the center of us what drives us. It's what motivates us. And Jesus is saying his heart is meek and lowly. And the interesting thing is the word lowly, if you go back to the original, is the same as the word humble in our quotation from Proverbs. I am meek and humble of heart, says Jesus. So in order to develop an attitude, and live out an attitude of humility. Day by day, we need to think about Jesus. We need to look at how he lived his life. Being humble didn't make him, uh, for want of a better word, wet. He still was a passionate man with a mission, with a deep love for people, with things to do. He had a mission. He had a purpose to fulfill. He could be very direct in some of his teachings. He wasn't a walkover. But it all came from a humble heart that recognized, worshiped the Father, recognized his position, if you like, um, in, in things. And this is the, what we need to do. And I think what God is asking us today through this passage is perhaps to do a little bit of soul-searching and I'm just, in fact, let's just pray right now. Let's just pray right now that the Holy Spirit would come, and just because we don't want to make anything up, do we? We don't want to have a nice, oh a nice sermon. I should find something wrong in myself. No, we want the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Areas in you, in me, uh, that that may need a little bit of attention. As I've already said, we may care about many things, good things. We may be passionate about issues in society, social justice, environment. We may care about our family, our friends, our neighbours. We should care about all of these things, but within ourselves, all of these things need to be in right relationship with the most important thing of all, which is our love relationship with Jesus, putting him at the centre and walking humbly with him. We submit to him, don't we? First and foremost, humble yourselves before the Lord. It says, and He will lift you up. I'm just going to read, as we close, the description of Jesus in Second Chapter of Philippians. You'll you'll know it very familiar passage. But let's just try and remember again as, as we close what, what a radical statement this is about the very Son of God. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has exalted him. As we were singing earlier, he is the lion and the lamb. He is the lamb that was slain. But he is the lion of Judah. And one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And you know, I think for most of us in our humbling of ourselves, we won't even need to go as far as Jesus did. He took it all the way to the cross so that we didn't have to take that punishment. But in his humbling of himself, he left us an example that we should follow. Not what you'll see in the culture, not what you'll see lived out in the world around us, but actually God's way of living. You don't want God to oppose you. I noticed even on the the Alpha video that we saw earlier, Bear Grylls saying, I thought I could do it on my own. I discovered I couldn't even Bear Grylls. <laughs> I wouldn't want to get into a fight with, with him. He's a big guy, tough guy. But he discovered this truth. I was never meant to do it on my own. I was meant to do it with the Lord. So I just want to take us, us to take a moment to reflect. And then I'm going to pray. We could just have a bit of worship. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I didn't tell him I was going to do this, so he's just improvising, which is great. Um, But it's a good chance for us just to, just pause, friends, and let God speak to you. We can do this, you know, with his strength. He's not setting up before us a target that we can't reach, but he is saying, walk with me, and I will make your walk humble, Walk with me, and I will point out any areas of pride that you need to keep a lid on. Walk with me. There is grace for every situation.